Welcome to the Mary D Show. I'm your host, Mary D, here to be your guide as we extract wisdom and life lessons from top CEOs, thought leaders, artists, spiritual luminaries, and wellness experts. My intention is to bring you value in every show that sparks an idea, helps you break a limiting belief, or encourages you to create thoughts that uplevel your life so that you can know from the deepest parts of your soul that everything you want is available to you and that abundance is your birthright. In 2018, I healed from breast cancer holistically after surgery without the use of chemotherapy or pharmaceuticals. I love biohacking and plant medicine and exploring spirituality and what it means to be in relationship with spirit so that we can feel whole and complete no matter what life throws at us. My specialty in the business world is strategy and leadership, and my gift to each of you is my ability to listen so that I can help others see themselves. In each episode, I want to sprinkle you with some hope dust, tickle your funny bone, and inspire you to find your inner roar. Get ready to live your most aligned, purposeful, and joy-filled life now, and enjoy the show. I hope that you are having a beautiful day and that life is ebbing and flowing your way with ease and abundance. On today's show, we are going to have a little chat about death. Now, I know some of you might be saying, Mary, death is such a morbid subject. How are you going to catalyze my joy with a subject like death? And to you, my friend, I say, give me a few minutes and I'm going to break it all down for you in a way that I hope will give you some hope or clarity around an area that a lot of people associate with pain and suffering and the unknown. I'm also going to share a few stories with you and then I'm going to share with you what I know now about death that I wished I knew before I had to deal with the aftermath of it. And I will also share my own near-death experience that has helped me drive out some of my own beliefs about death. And lastly, I'm going to share a prayer with you to wish anyone that you're losing or have lost a beautiful passage into the great beyond and hope that it brings you and your loved one some comfort. I'm actually inspired to talk about death because it's actually been coming up for me lately with my parents who are older. And it's also been a theme for quite a few of my close friends these past few months. So I've been having a lot of conversations on the topic. I love my mom so much, and it's hard to look at her and see some of the physical pain she's having to go through as her body changes and matures. We're going to celebrate her 79th birthday soon, and I'm reminded that each moment I get with her is special. And one day when her physical body isn't here, I know that I will still remember how she makes me feel. And at the end of the day, that's what we're remembered by, how we make people feel. Back in April, I was visiting my parents and my dad was going to have knee surgery. He had one before on his left leg and this time they were going in to do the right. He asked me to be available. So of course I was. We took him to pre-op. Everything looks good. And then Friday comes along. We have him in surgery by 10 a.m. while my mom and I sit and wait. We've done this once before, so pretty much everything went just like it did the time before, except this time my dad was experiencing a little more post-surgery pain in his leg, after a few hours, was up and walking on his new knee, which is great, 
I got them settled into his room for the night, and then I went home to decompress and wait for the call in the morning for my dad's discharge. It had already been a long day, and I was home decompressing in the bath, and my phone rings. And it's already past 11 o'clock at night, and I'm surprised that my phone is ringing. And as I go to pick it up, I realize that my mom is on the other line, and she's telling me that they have to take my dad to the ICU over to another hospital, and she's not allowed to ride in the ambulance. I am slightly confused because I don't know why my dad suddenly needs to go to the ICU. And then a nurse pops on the line to tell me that my dad has had a condition that they call a heart block and his beats per minute dropped down to 20 beats per minute. And that almost sent him into cardiac arrest. They don't know why it happened, but they know they are not equipped at that hospital to handle an emergency of that magnitude if it happens again. I get dressed and head to the hospital to collect my mom. We wait until the ambulance arrives and we follow behind the ambulance a block over to the main hospital. My dad gets checked in. A couple hours later, he is in his room at the ICU and we are ready to call it a day. The nurse assures us we'll get an update once the cardiologist can see my dad. We give goodbye kisses and my mom and I go home. For the entire next week, we go to the hospital a couple times a day to visit my dad. We are constantly calling for an update or meeting with a doctor or nurse to find out how he did that day. We're also still trying to manage his physical therapy because he needs to be walking on his new knee. And if you saw my dad that week, you would not have thought that he needed to be in the hospital. He really seemed fine and his vitals were good every day, along with a sense of humor. He was doing what he pretty much would be doing at home, which is watching TV and waiting for the next meal. Alone with my mom at home, we were having a really reflective experience. And what came up is the question of what would my mom do if my dad didn't make it? And my mom looked at me square in the eyes and she said, I go with you. I can't stay here by myself. And I realized that we all hadn't really talked about it. After all, when do you start talking about death or the plans that need to be made when death is knocking on the door? Is a higher potential because maybe someone's older or sicker. And we had the basic things in order when you're talking about last requests and wills and trusts and things like that. But we hadn't actually talked about the care of one parent in the absence of the other. And I immediately reached out to my sister and we decided that her and I needed to have a bigger conversation with each other about my mom's care if she were the last one standing. And in our family culture, it typically would fall on the eldest child to take care of parents in their old age. However, my sister actually lives in Thailand and I'm usually traveling. So we had to go back and forth and talk about a few scenarios where maybe we both take some responsibility for my mom's care and split the load. We both also decided that this wasn't going to be a solution we were going to be able to come to on the spot, but it was going to be a discussion we continue to have as time goes on and as things play out. One thing is for certain, if you haven't done the basics, like writing out your last wishes or how you want your affairs to be handled, now is actually the best time. The best time is when you are well, when your mind is in a good place, and when you have the opportunity to tell the people who support you what your desires are. Too often, we think we have more time and then someone passes and we have no idea what they would want. And in coping with our own grief, we now have the added weight of making hard decisions, trying to honor their life, but not really knowing what it was they wanted. 
So whether that's you, your partner, or the parental figures in your life, I really encourage you to have the conversation so that there's no confusion or doubt over what's desired. I also remember when my grandmother was ailing and a couple years before her death, every time the ambulance would show up, she would start taking off her jewelry and basically throwing it at us because she was sure that the paramedics and hospital staff were going to take the jewelry off her body if she left the house with it on. And the day of her funeral, my uncle, deep in his own grief, pulls out a pair of her earrings from his pocket and says to me, do you think she wants to wear these earrings? And in response, I just said, I don't know if she has much of an opinion about those right now. My grandma wasn't really specific about her outfit for the day of her service. She kind of left it all to us and we did the best we could. My grandma was just a few months short of 87 when she passed away. And in my eyes, she lived such a full and beautiful life. She deserved to be put to rest and, and any suffering that her physical body was experiencing. And I remember really celebrating her that day, laughing and sharing stories and inviting others to do the same. My uncle, on the other hand, was really devastated. My grandfather had already passed away, and now he was going to be living alone with no one to care for. And I think for him, maybe feeling like no one was available to care for him either. I'm reminded that we all have a mode of grief that is very dictated by our emotions that we carry for the other person and ourselves and how we're experiencing their physical absence. Where do we go to get support when we feel like our heart has been blasted wide open and that a piece of it is missing? Definitely the support of our closest friends and family, but if you don't have that support or if you need more, then where do you go? And this led me down a few paths, but one of them I found was a nonprofit called lovenotlost.org. This is run by a young lady named Ashley Jones, who also has a really solid TEDx talk you can find on YouTube called How to Heal in Grief. Again, it's called How We Heal in Grief. If any of you are experiencing grief over the loss of a loved one, preparing for that loss, or honestly, any grief of loss in general, this is such a good TED Talk that can bring some healing to your life. In the cancer community, we have conversations about grief because although not everyone will lose their life, there is still a significant loss that does feel like a part of our past has died. A part of our identity has died and we're never gonna get it back. My breasts were amputated and reconstructed and they'll never quite look or feel like they did for the first 40 years of my life. There is a mourning and a grief that happens when you lose parts of your body because many times those things are part of our identity and it can feel really disempowering when they're gone. One of the conversations that came up with another friend who was caring for her dad while hospice was managing his care at the house was how to best honor him in the limited time they had left. And I think that anyone who has been through that timeline of hospice care to death knows that it's such a grueling waiting game. If you're not familiar with the term, hospice care is when a doctor basically prescribes to a terminally ill patient that they can no longer treat them. And they send in hospice and a hospice worker is there to basically ensure the most pain-free option for the loved one while they are quite literally waiting for them to take their last breath. 
And recently, my friend found some peace in following her dad's bread recipes and sharing the fresh baked goods with the hospice workers. And I thought it was such a beautiful way to fill the house with the smell of fresh baked bread and allow some joy in the room when it's so easy to just feel the cloud of a funk. I have a brother-in-law who was dying of stage four cancer, and he was surrounded by family. One by one, we all had time to say our goodbyes. And I do remember how hard it was for my sister. This was her first and only husband. They had been married over 25 years with three kids. He took care of everything. He made all the big decisions. And yet here he was laying in fetal position, eventually unable to communicate. I remember all of the emotions that were coming up for the family. And in a way, it wasn't very pretty to see how the living were treating other living. But also it's because they were dealing with grief and their looming loss in their own way. Some were in denial. Some were quietly waiting. And I think we were about two weeks into hospice care. And every morning was the same for me. I would get a call in the morning and it would say, can you please come over? Your sister needs you. And of course I would come. She was in so much confusion. She had no idea what to do. She couldn't tell me where the checkbook was located. She couldn't tell me how much the mortgage bill was. She wasn't just losing a husband. She was losing her own caretaker in a way and suddenly being thrown out into the world to figure out how to make ends meet, feed her kids, keep living, all the while also preparing for this very obvious funeral that's going to be coming up. My brother-in-law was one of the steady men in my life growing up. I met him when I was six years old and he was the man that taught me how to ride a bike. He raised me like I was one of his own kids. And what I know now that I didn't know then about death is that sometimes death is a mercy. And in the case of my brother-in-law, that mercy could not come soon enough. The mercy isn't just for the body that is suffering from its dis-ease or a life well-lived. It's also mercy for the people who are watching the suffering of someone that they love and care for but can't change the situation. Watching someone die can be painful, but watching someone suffer is cruel and grueling. I don't know why this is the case for me, but overall, I've always had a pretty big appetite for living on the edge and maybe been known for taking risks that are a little unnecessary. You know what they say, the bigger the risk, the bigger the reward. My mom used to always question why I seem to get such a kick out of thrill-seeking. And a part of it is because as I experience life and go on adventures, they give me that big gush inside that reminds me that I'm alive. And at the end of each day, I get to put my head on the pillow and thank God for another day well-lived. Playing it safe all the time or following all the rules I didn't make up doesn't feel like living to me. At the same time, my observation is that there is literally no rhyme or reason to death's timing, at least not one that I'm fully aware of or that can be proven scientifically. Some say that our souls come here to learn a lesson, and when that lesson is over, we pass on. Marketing ads will tell you that one more pill or four days of exercise a week will keep you living longer. But I see healthy people drop dead for no good reason, and a guy with a beer gut that chain smokes outlive a triathlete. The quality of that life might not be the same, but the quantity piece is such a mystery. People like to ask me if cancer changed me or changed my views about death or life. And honestly, my answer is no. I still believe that life is a cycle 
and that we can see it everywhere. There is a pattern to the science and all things live and die. And this happens over and over and over again. Even a cloud dissipates into a vapor and then back into a cloud again. A tiny seed is planted in the dirt and grows to be a hundred feet tall and live a hundred years. It houses animals over the course of its time. It gives shade. It helps perch the birds or it gets cut down to build things. If the tree dies, it simply falls over and begins to decompose. And eventually it becomes soil that eventually sees a seed that grows a new plant to start the cycle all over again. Everything has a transition and a transformation. The worm walks around on many little legs on the ground and on leaves and stems, and it spends its time eating and eventually spins itself into a cocoon to go through the chrysalis and emerge as this beautiful butterfly with wings that are colorful, and then it spends its days flying around pollinating flowers. And I think that we are more like butterflies than we might realize. I almost wonder if butterflies are here to give us that little hint at what it's actually like. I feel like our souls walk this earth like that worm. And then death shows up and it is our chrysalis that sets us up for emerging as a whole new kind of thing that's free and beautiful. I was on a rafting trip and I almost drowned. It was back in the early 2000s and our raft had hit a rock. It tipped all of us out. And where most people got washed down the river, lucky little me gets stuck right where the water's churning on the other side of the rock. And as I'm stuck in this washing machine of a situation, my helmet and my life jacket are keeping me afloat, but not enough for me to get my head out of the water for air. And I remember being under the water where my ears were plugged and most of the sound was the rapids. And I felt this deep sense of peace, a deep sense of calm. And I surrendered into the experience and distinctly remember saying to myself, someone is going to have to pull me out. And I waited. I held my breath for what felt like forever. I felt a hand reach for my shoulder, but he missed. And then I see the raft go over my head. And then I feel two hands grab both shoulders of that jacket and just yank me back up out of that water and onto the raft. And as I lay there, I took the biggest, most painful breath back to life. And this was so symbolic of rebirth for me. Think about a baby. Think about how a baby is in the call inside the amniotic fluid and can hear everything happening in that kind of muted, watery, in-your-ears tone, but they haven't had their first breath yet. This day could have gone so differently, and instead of dying, I got to almost experience rebirth again. And that's what I actually believe about death. I think it's our chance at rebirth, and although there might be pain in that first breath or the last one, as soon as we come up for air, the pain dissipates and we're fully aware. I was on a plant medicine journey with my friend psilocybin one night, and during this night, I had one of the deepest, most interesting moments with myself. Magic mushrooms have definitely deepened my relationship with myself and with spirit. I believe that plant medicines of the psychedelic nature are so healing and can be great teachers, and that has been my experience of them. I also believe in experiencing them in the right container with the right intentions. There's some amazing science and case studies for how these medicines heal the brain. And I know veterans, sexual assault victims, and those who have experienced deep trauma 
who have also experienced deep healing with psychedelics. So for those, I am an advocate. So back to the story. After doing a lot of verbal and emotional processing with my friend, I ended up in the bathroom and I couldn't get my pants back on. Yeah, pants down, in the bathroom, can't function. And more than that, I can't really even speak. It was as if I lost the ability. So I am sitting there, the door is open, I'm waiting. My friend is on the other side of that door in the kitchen and I can hear him slightly freaking out because he's having his own experience where he thinks he needs to purge. And as he's doing that, he's getting really philosophical with himself about what does the fact that he feels like he purge means that he needs to purge emotionally. So I'm just listening to him and I'm listening to him speak all of his thoughts out loud just a few feet away from me. And in that moment, I was recognizing that my friend has so much going on in his head. He's so busy in there and he's having all of these conversations that are happening. And I'm fascinated because it's as if I am in his brain watching all cylinders fire. And as I sit there, I notice I'm getting cold and I am consciously aware that the body to protect itself sends all the blood to the major organs. And when that happens, it can be why extremities like hands and feet get so cold. And I am noticeably cold. And I said to myself, I wonder if this is what it feels like at the end of a natural life to be dying because my body is getting so cold. The color visuals in my head were so beautiful and beyond the chatter of my friend, I could still hear the music in the background that was so beautiful in a way that I was falling in and out of consciousness and into the vibe of the music. It's as if the music were floating above me like a pathway and I could come out of my body and walk up that path. But then I would catch myself and say, oh no, let's not get away lest my soul dance itself right out of my body through the roof of my head. I was so grateful for my life and there was a deep gratitude for reflecting on it and knowing that I've lived it so fully. After I came out of my experience and took time to process what happened, one of the things that came up for me was that I need to tell all of my friends that one day when I am a super old lady and I am on my deathbed, that I want to be surrounded by all of the people who love me. I want my favorite music to be playing in the background so that there's never silence. I want my loved ones to pour out stories and tell me how I made them feel loved or made them laugh. And even if I can't talk back, and especially then, I want them to know that I can hear every word. And I want them to slip me some magic mushrooms so that as I close my eyes and complete on how thankful I am for having lived this human experience, I can see that beautiful pathway that will let my soul come up out of my body and do a little dance through my head on down Chrysalis Lane to my next adventure. My mom would tell you that heaven is the next stop. A rowdy preacher might tell you that judgment is the next stop. And maybe they're right. Maybe even both of them are right. Maybe there's a judgment, then a version of hell, and then a version of heaven. And then you get to do it all over again as a tiger. We really don't know. And that's what makes the mystery a little scary or a little fun, depending on which way you lean. Don't worry, though. We're all going to find out. And from so many near-death accounts, as well as the work that's done through mediums, it sounds like the afterlife actually isn't so bad. It's just a transition. It's just a transformation. I encourage you to work that out with God. 
not with the story someone told you, but what your spirit stirs in you. Only you can choose to believe a story that brings you peace or one that brings you fear. Love is always the answer. And the next best answer to love is usually peace. I'll end with this prayer that I would like to share with anyone who is about to go through their chrysalis. And I hope someone will read it to me when it's my turn. I call this one the prayer of beautiful ascension. Most powerful and wonderful God, I call on you, great spirit, with your grand intelligence over all things to be with us now in love and with the intention of only allowing what is of all pureness and all light, rebuking and forsaking evil and being only available for that which is for each of our highest good. We invoke the help and support of our ancestors, angels, and all beings of light to surround us in your peace. Bring us comfort and watch over us as we watch over our loved one as they begin their journey from their current reality into a new chapter of being as they shed this human body and like a caterpillar enter the chrysalis to emerge into a new rebirth joyfully and in the splendor and beauty of a new path just like the butterfly given new wings that gets to soar freely complete relief of the hardships that come with being human and the comfort of knowing that all perceived wrongs in this life end here wrap them in your arms of forgiveness touch them with your grace and wisdom and mercy and may they know that they'll be remembered with fondness and gratitude. Aho. I hope you enjoyed today's show. I am off to Costa Rica to sit with an indigenous tribe on a cosmic adventure, and hopefully I live to tell about it on a future episode. We'll release a new episode next week, and until then, may abundance always walk beside you, may joy always go before you, and may love always guide you on your path. Thank you for joining us on today's show. You can connect with me more at www.maryd.com. You can also catch us on YouTube at The Mary D Show. Head over to social media. You'll find me on Instagram and Facebook at The Mary D. Just look for the little blue check mark to ensure you're on my official page and not a copycat. I hope that today's session inspires you to live an aligned life where you get to take complete ownership of your feelings and decisions to live in your truth. 